You're listening to Agency Highway. This is a podcast for agencies that want to grow their business and work less. Agency Highway is sponsored by Content Snare, a platform that helps digital agencies gather content from clients without digging through a storm of emails, huge attachments, and messy Google Docs. Sign up at contentsnare.com and use the chat widget to say you heard about Content Snare on Agency Highway, and you'll get a 30-day trial instead of the typical 14. Now, here's this week's episode. Hello, and welcome back to Agency Highway. This is episode 145 with Gabrielle from The Well-Paid Creative. And I think that business name says everything you need to know about what you're going to learn in this, this episode. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I, uh, I, well, first up, obviously, I love the business name. I think, uh, you know, many agencies, many, well, for many freelancers especially, uh, don't end up very well paid and end up kind of backing themselves into a job. You know, I've, I've been there for sure. So have many listeners of the show. Uh, could you start with a little bit about, I guess, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that you started in that same boat also. Can you share a little mm-hmm. bit about your story and how you got, got here? Absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of like to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. So I had never, ever wanted to own a business or work for myself or be my own boss. I just like was not my plan. Um, But I did love design and web development. So I went to school and I decided that I was just going to get a job and work my way through various agencies and, you know, maybe one day become like a creative director or something like that and, and, you know, work for someone else. And that was my plan. I did it for many, many years. And then I got headhunted by uh, Shell Canada here up here in Canada. And one of the caveats of that big, giant, juicy contract that they offered me was that I had to be an incorporated company. So I bit the bullet and it was an offer I couldn't refuse. So I marched my butt down to the registry office and opened up my, you know, quote unquote company Mm -hmm. and worked for them for a couple of years. Um, A couple of years later, I ended up getting pregnant with my first child and realized that because I was a contractor, because I had my own company, I had no benefits for maternity whatsoever. So I had my child and I had this company. And so I decided to run with it, having absolutely no experience running a business or doing anything of the sort. um, I started freelancing from my home and... um, did really, really poorly at it for about six years, wow. made every mistake possible under the sun, some of them multiple times. and But eventually I learned what worked and, and what didn't. Mm-hmm. And in 2019, I decided to wrap all of that up into my book, Secret Weapon, just all of the lessons that I learned along the way. And now I'm here kind of sharing all of those lessons with other people, other freelancers, so that they can make more money do the work they love and attract clients that they love working with. Love it. That's, that's quite a cool story. And I feel like, you know, while it's probably not common in that, like not everyone had a kid and realized they had no benefits. I mean, I feel like accidentally <laughs> falling into freelancing seems to happen quite a lot. And, and then people work out, Hey, this is actually pretty cool. Or a very random question. When you went down to open up your business, how did you name it? 
Um, actually, I named it after a project that I did in school, and it was a website I had to create for something or other. <laughs> and I just came up with this random name. It was a really cool domain name. It was 12strong.com. And for some reason, I was like, that kind of rhymes. I like it. Hmm. So when I went and registered the name, I was like, well, sure, I'll just call it that. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Well, yeah, because that's actually a pretty cool name. I, oh, I really like 12 Strong. And the fact that you just kind of did that well, almost on a whim is like, because <laughs> I feel like every time I've, I don't know, done anything in business, it's been such a painstaking process to name things, like whether it's a product or a, even a service, you know, like, but then especially like when we first created our, our business name, like, God, it took us so long because we wanted a .com and whatever. Ah, cool. Well, there you go. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about referral systems and and the traps that a lot of freelancers fall into and i'm guessing you've been through a lot of this stuff in the in the first six years <laughs> before you managed mm, to absolutely. turn this around um now we spoke offline before about the more client trap which is something you see freelancers falling into what well actually agencies too can you like what, what do you mean by the more client trap yeah. So the more client trap is something that's really prevalent. And I found myself constantly struggling with this in the first beginning years of my business. And essentially, it comes down to the feeling that everything will be fixed as long as you get the next client or you need more clients. And you're just constantly having to fill this void that's actually being caused by other reasons than the number of clients you have. And this more client trap, um, I find that it is almost a sticky band-aid because we're either not making enough money or we don't like our projects or we're you know overwhelmed or we're underwhelmed. And we just feel like as long as I get more clients, this is all going to go away. And it never does because it's just so cyclical. And we're right back in the same situation we are at the end of the next project. And when we kind of take a look at some of the root causes of that more client trap, we kind of start fixing it and it stops popping up so much in our day-to-day and our businesses. Right. Yeah. And hundred percent on board with that because you know, when we had an agency, it's the same deal. I think everyone can can relate to that because it, it, I mean, they, they'd say the feast or famine cycle and that's pretty much, I feel like that goes hand in hand with this. So, mm-hmm. you know, in that case, you, t- you spoke about the root causes. What are the root causes and how do we fix them? <laughs> well, the number one root cause is that you're not charging accordingly to what you're needing to make in your business. So a lot of the times people will make um, obscure revenue goals for themselves. So say I want to make the very, very prevalent, I want to make a 10K month. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's one that's really, really prevalent right now. But they don't really break down, you know, do I need to make $10,000 this month? Do I actually need to make more or do I actually need to make less? And they actually don't take the time to crunch out their own finances and their own profit margins to figure out what revenue they actually need to make in order to get out of that feast and famine cycle. And that's kind of the biggest one is that finances piece. Right. So, like, are you saying then that, like, people should, like, instead of basically an arbitrary goal, they should do some maths and and work out what they should be earning. Is, is that what you're Absolutely. saying? 
Yeah, that's the gist of it. And a lot of us don't take the time to actually find out what our true expenses are, what our true profit margins are, and what we actually need to make every single month in order to live, how to break even, and how to thrive. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I that was like the first thing I did when we start when <laughs> we started our business and I was going from full time. You know, I guess I, I had... A bit of a luxury there and that I was working full time and I decided I didn't want to work for dickheads anymore. So I had some time to plan my exit. And I remember doing the calculations on my expenses. And I think it was whatever it was, I think it was like 36 grand a year um, at the time. It's in Aussie dollars, which was really low. Um, and I remember that because I think I quit when I was able to pay myself 40. <laughs> so there wasn't much room for the error in there. But that was like, you know, I remember basically looking at my bank account over a full 12 months and like even like presents, the gifts and stuff that I bought, bought for people and whatever. So I did this like like rants and everything was in there because I was renting back then. But, um, you know, and that was how I arose, like got to that number. But I feel like, like at some point, like a goal, a revenue goal can, even though it's arbitrary, can be kind of positive because it pushes you to go for that. But I can also understand the negative in that you might just take on clients that you shouldn't take to hit said goal. Mm. So what yeah, are your, what are your thoughts there? a double-edged sword to it. Well, I feel like revenue goals should be meaningful. So one thing that I teach the people that I talk to is to create your break-even goal. So that's, you know, what you need right now to cover all your expenses, right? Make a little bit of profit. And after tax, spending thinking, of, thinking after about tax, tax and everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Making sure you know what the whole, whole picture. And then doing an ideal goal, but making that ideal goal be relevant. So what does that money go towards? So for me, when I first did this exercise and kind of figured it out myself, I was saving a lot for paying off some debts. And my goal was we wanted to move into a bigger house. I mean, we had a growing little family. We were all crammed into this tiny little house. So I sat down and I figured out, okay, well, what is that mortgage going to be on that bigger house? What's the utility is going to be on that bigger house? You know, what's mm. the property taxes, all of these things. Um, and so of course that raised my expenses so much a month, but it was a specific amount. And that specific amount meant something. It wasn't just an extra 20K or an extra 10K for the shits and giggles of it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Because I mean, I, I've always had a what I thought was an arbitrary goal. But now that you say that, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of rolled into it. My my salary, whatever, like the what I want to draw from the company, that goal is based on, well, at first it was just like, I pegged it as basically where I would have stopped earning as an engineer because that's what I used to be. And it was like, if I can make more than I would have as an engineer uh, doing, you know, less work, potentially half the amount of work, <laughs> then <laughs> I count that as a win. So that was always my original goal. But then I found, I sort of did some calculations and worked out like what, you know, that it would basically tick all the boxes for me and what I want in life. And so that's how I, you know, like with a certain kind of house that I wanted exactly sort of thing, like what kind of repayments, you know, do I want to be able to buy like a decent car sort of thing or, you know, go on trips. And it, with all that, you know, I arrived at my number and um, I feel like it's pretty low. Like I, I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs that are, um, you know, aiming way higher than I am. You know, they want to be able to make a million bucks a year kind of thing. And I'm nowhere near that. I don't, you know, right now mm. I use, so I, where I was going to go with this is like, I feel like you can, with these numbers, if you know what your expenses are and what your goal is, 
do you advocate like using that difference? You know, if you're if you're in the middle, so let's say again, thirty six k is the our expenses or something, and we're currently making sixty k. Do you use the difference to try and grow your business? You know, is that because that that's what it is for me right now? Because I'm I'm still not at my goal yet. However, th- well, that's because we basically pull out all the money that's different than what we currently need to pay ourselves to live. <laughs> and that, mm. that bonus money goes to, you know, hiring other people and actually growing the business. Is that the kind of, you know, thing you see people doing? Well, it really depends on the person. So a lot of people, um, you know, I kind of work 50, 50, half of the people I work with want to eventually get to that point where they have an agency or they're in the process of growing an agency, hiring more people. And other people are very much satisfied keeping, staying as a solo freelancer, Mm -hmm. right? They don't want to grow a company. They just want to like, you know, make a, a comfortable life for themselves. And on one hand, the people who have an agency, I always recommend them to have a big buffer because there's a lot more volatility in agency life than there is in the solo freelancing life. So when you have that buffer, you can make those decisions on whether you want to hire someone new or whether you want to spend more on marketing or whether you want to do all that. And you can make those decisions a little bit easier because you have the money to back them up. Whereas someone who's doing freelancing, a little bit more of a solo kind of gig, they are, I usually tend to advise them to start putting that into savings, to start putting that into your long-term financial goals, because those long-term goals, we tend to forget about them until, you know, they're like the last minute things it's like, oh, right. I have to save for retirement. But when you start doing that early, that's really, really key to making sure that you're comfortable for a long time moving forward. Glad you brought both of those up because that was a big thing that I went through as well as sort of I was a, I did a stint at the, I thought I'd never work at the mines because I'd hate it but I ended up doing a you know six month stint before I finally quit and went full time on my business and that little nest egg was like amazing right having that was probably one of the smartest things I did and I know not everyone's got that luxury but um, that is definitely you know if you are in the position to get a little savings pool together that buffer makes like such a difference. Um, and we ended up buying a house anyway, so I lost it all on a deposit, but um, <laughs> it was okay. It, anyway. But, um, but having that buffer and that savings and just that little bit of um, that little nest egg is one of the ways that you can kind of escape that more client trap that we mm. were talking about. Because a lot of the feelings of like, I need more, I need more clients, I need more projects comes from feeling like you don't have enough and that you're not secure. So when you have that security of... and money really brings a lot of that security. You don't have to feel so frantic to constantly be needing more clients and more projects. Yeah. And like, I've been in that position too. And a lot of that for me anyway, comes from seeing what numbers in your bank account, right. Or or like getting a tax bill or something and you're like, Oh crap, where am I going to pull this from? And a huge process for me. And I've done this in my personal life for years, right? Like splitting out whatever income I got from my job into buckets, right? Like one, you know, I calculated what my bills are every year and then I split that into 12. And so every time my pay came out, you know, what I what I needed went into my bills accounts. Every time a bill came in, I just knew there it is. Like it's a phone, internet bill, like I've got the money for it. Uh, and that, God, that takes the pressure off. It takes so much pressure off. And, mm-hmm. and then we ended up applying this to our business too, which is, it's funny because I didn't even think about doing that uh, until... I read Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Mm, and one of my favorite books. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that absolutely changed 
everything because now like I didn't have to think about oh like do we have enough in our account to cover like the tax bill that I know is going to come in a month or two. Now I know because we pay like two or three percent more than we need to into our tax account. I know we're always going to have enough to cover basically every tax bill mm-hmm. that comes in. And like this account is like hidden right down the bottom of my bank. I never even see it. So sometimes I get in there, I'm like, oh, well, there's like a whole bunch of money in there. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. I actually nicknamed it like government's money. So like, <laughs> so I realized it's not even my money. <laughs> um, so that's been a really big thing. If anyone has, is listening to this and hasn't done Profit First yet, I think it's 100% worth it because it takes the pressure off in so, so many ways. Um, it really does. And a lot of us get into doing what we do, not because we're accountants, but because we're great designers or developers or marketers or or what have you. And so having those really simple systems that we can follow, especially when it comes to money, those things that we tell ourselves we're not good at, just makes it easier because you don't have to figure out the uh, percentage that you need to pay on that. You just sock it away every month, yep. right? You just 100%. follow the system. Yep. On those two days a month, I think it's the 10th and the 25th or something. And, and then you you just look at how much is in your money in account and divvy it up with percentages out into the other accounts. Like, that's it. That's all I do. I have a recurring reminder that pops up twice a month for me to do it and a spreadsheet that does all the calcs for me. Um, it's easy as. So, yeah, if anyone's interested in, in uh, learning more about that spreadsheet, let me know. Just drop me a, drop me a line at agencyhighway.com. Um, so, escaping this more client trap, first thing is obviously charging more. That's kind of what you were speaking about. Um, that's, uh, I think we've, we've covered that a lot on this podcast. So if anyone is interested in um, learning how to raise your prices, I would go to agencyhighway.com and just search for pricing or, um, you know, value-based pricing. There was an awesome episode with Jonathan Stark, which really changed my mind on like, because I was doing automation work, which I thought was like so bespoke and there's no way I can do like value-based pricing. Like how do I quote this stuff? And, you know, I, he basically said, you know, whatever you think, double it sort of thing. I can't remember if that was the exact quote, but, um, and, and the idea behind that was that uh, you, like they get a fixed price, but then you've got this like buffer where you can throw in all those extra things that they want that inevitably going to mm-hmm. scope creep just a little, you know, obviously you've got to control that, but um, you know, if you can go, oh yeah, 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 I can do that. No worries, because you've got room for it. It actually ends up with um, happier clients as well. And I tested that by, you know, basically doubling all my automation quotes. And look, no one's really said no. In fact, I feel like maybe doubling it wasn't enough because everyone sort of just goes for it straight away, which is <laughs> a very eye-opening thing. So that's you know worth worth thinking about if you're in this game. But wh- what a- I know you're a big fan of building a referral engine, Gabrielle. So can we talk a little bit about that? How do you get a good referral engine going in, as a freelancer? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, one of the things that really kicked off my own business, once I made all the mistakes and decided that I was going to fix my business because I was drowning, um, one of the things I realized that I did really, really well was building up referrals. And at that point, I was pretty much a 100% referral based business. Like I didn't do any advertising. I didn't do yeah. any cold outreach. I didn't do anything. I think that's and pretty common that, among listeners. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, is that a lot of the times um, we tend to take that for granted and we don't maximize the amount of return that we can actually get on these really, really good referrals that we've got up in our network together. 
And I guess the key thing is, is just setting it up as a system. And this is something that you can automate. So you can totally get your, your, your love for automation going in this. But um, so the key to creating a referral engine is basically those three points. The first part is that you have to ask for them. I mean, it's so, so simple, so basic. And yet you would be surprised how many freelancers I work with who just don't ask for referrals. They're basically just waiting for referrals to happen. They happen by accident. It's like a happy little accident where they're like, oh, yay, someone referred me. But they're not actually engineering it to actually be more consistent. So part of it is to do the ask, right? You have to get over yourself and you have to realize that by asking for your referrals, you're not bugging people. You're not being a pest. You're not seeming desperate. Um, it's actually just a very common business thing. And people are kind of expect it. And even if they aren't expecting it, they're not going to think less of you because of it. And the third, well, the second part is to build it into all of your projects, your entire client experience. So there's several parts in an average client project that you're working on where asking referrals is actually way more powerful than um, just doing them as an afterthought. And for myself, what I found was the most powerful parts were right after I got approval for things and right after I gave deliverables. Right. So those were the times when a client's super happy with you and loves working with you and is really happy with what you're doing together. And that's when their goodwill is kind of at the highest. So the odds of them referring other people to you are a lot higher than at, you know, three months down the road, six months down the road. But you also do build in three months down the road and six months down the road. Mm. Right. I like this because I think a lot of people wait till the end, right? So they've... Um, mm -hmm you know, the final deliverable or whatever, like once the project's done, that's when they might ask for referrals. So adding more opportunities in there, like when they've approved something, I really like that. So how would you go about that then? Like, you know, oh, uh, you happy with the design? Cool. Can you refer me to someone? Like, <laughs> obviously you're going to do it better <laughs> than that. That's why I'm asking you. Uh, like, how do you go about that in like, like specific language even would be really cool to hear. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll give you the exact thing that I have in all of my uh, deliverable emails. Um, and this worked really well. I don't think I've changed the wording of it at all in the last three, four years. And basically it was, you know, wrapping off. Oh, thank you so much for signing off on this. We'll get started on the next stage of your project. Um, oh, by the way, um, I'm currently looking for new clients who are looking for XYZ. Um, is there anybody that you know of that comes to mind? Um, I absolutely loved working with you and I'm sure you know lots of people just like you. Would you mind um, either connecting us or giving me their names and I can reach out to them? Boom. I love it. So a huge, you know, it's like a soft way that, you know, again, like that, no one's going to think you think of you less for that. And just the big thing there is just jogging someone's minds to even think about that. Because if they just receive an email from you, that's like, oh yeah, glad, you know, you've approved that design. They're going to go, okay, cool. You know, and go about their day. But that's almost like an interrupt where they might go, they actually might take a second and go, Oh yeah, like such and such said yesterday they were looking for a web designer. And I mm -hmm. feel that that's one of the biggest things is being like top of mind, I guess. And, you know, there's obviously lots of ways to do this. People send newsletters or whatever. So, you know, every time someone thinks about web design, like they remember, like got an email from their web designer. I used to have a PS line in my Gmail signature that would say something to that effect, not like 
I'm currently looking for. It wasn't as long as that, but there isn't a, there's no reason you couldn't sort of make that a temporary thing and have that PS go out on all your emails just for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And the good thing is, is that you're kind of doing your clients a favor. Like when I think about myself, I always feel really good when someone asks me for, you know, hey, do you know someone who does really good automations? And I go, oh my gosh, I've got the best guy for you. He knows his stuff. He's like the best in the industry here. Let me connect you to that feeling of being able to connect people together kind of gives a little bit of a dopamine rush. And I'm sure that your clients would feel the same way. Yeah, that's true. Like, um, you know, if someone comes to you for something, it generally means they consider you, you know, an expert or whatever, like, you know, a networker, you know, (laughs) and I'm always Mm -hmm. amazed by that. Like there are some people I know who are just crazy good at networking. um, And like, I sometimes I'll ask them for something and they'll just go above and beyond. And like, I don't know if that's partly just because that's their nature or like, because they love being the guy that people go to for that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. So I've definitely seen that before as well. You know, obviously not everyone's going to be like that and not everyone's going to make the referral, but when someone does, it's going to yeah, be very easy for you. Like, cause those are the best kind of clients. Right. And I imagine, you know, if you've already got good clients, then they're probably going to refer people that are also going to be good clients. Cause personally, like if I, if someone asked me for a referral, uh, well, sorry, like someone comes to me for automation and I can't handle it or like, well, at the time. And, but I get like the inkling they're uh, going to be a painful client. I'm actually less likely to refer them to someone else. So I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, when someone is, would be worried about that, they're, they're, more, they're only going to be likely to refer you to good potential clients because otherwise it's going to reflect badly on them. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. So, um, is there anything else you put in your little referral system? I do. So there's one last part of the referral programs that I find work the best. And that's some, some sort of incentive. Now, a lot of the times people will think, oh, well, maybe I'll send out like Amazon gift cards or things like that. And that actually doesn't really work when we're talking about services and you know agency work and stuff like that. Um, what actually works really good is offering discounts on your existing services. And this is something that I came up with when I had a boom of a year and I had all of these new clients come. And I realized at the end of the year that one of my clients referred me like eight new clients over a year long period. And before then I wasn't tracking it. I wasn't figuring out where these people were or were coming from. And at the end of that year, I realized, oh my gosh, she sent me like eight new clients. That was like almost 60, 70 grand worth of work. Like I have to thank her because, you know, that was exceptional on her part. So I reached out to her. I sent her a big gift basket of flowers and I said, hey, you know, for the next year, you get 25% off anything we do together. And she continues to be one of my biggest clients to this year and continues to send me clients like hand over fist every single month. So the thing that, you build into your referral system, some sort of incentive and some sort of tracking so that you can keep track of which clients are sending you the best clients um, really helps to kind of put a little bit of oomph to that referral engine. Yes. I like this. So two questions. Uh, do you, I assume you don't announce that you're going to give them something upfront? Like, is it in your message? Like if you refer someone, you've got 25% off. Some people look no, like I that. only tell them after they refer yeah. their first person. Yeah. 
Nice. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's because because otherwise it kind of there's an element of like dirtiness there, and a, a lot of people don't even like that. Um, you know, they, mm-hmm. they don't want something at all. You know, for referring someone like that, and because there are people are kind of considering commission like dirty. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's I Yeah, like that. and it kind of adds a little bit of like an unexpected surprise because we're all about like client experience and, and, and the way that they love working with us. So being able to say thank you in a meaningful way that's not really costing you anything and it's actually beneficial to them. And in order to use that thank you, they have to work with you again. It's kind of really a win-win. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, that's always like giving cash. Uh, like if you when there's like competitions that are giving like away an iPad or something, it's like, it, this it is cheapens just it a little bit. hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, that's why there's a lot of advice that, you know, like this is not mine. I stole this from other people that like when you incentivize customers in some way, it should be for the thing that you have, you know, like running a competition. If you're running a competition of like who can refer the most people so they should win like a, a year's worth of your product or something like without with content snare for example because otherwise if it's like an ipad you're gonna get these like random people signing up to just want the mm-hmm. ipad right so you, you want your target client so um the other question is how do you track it honestly an excel sheet a google yeah. sheet I'm down honestly because I'm assuming that all of your clients, you have like a discovery call with, a sales call with, right? So you Mm. just ask them, hey, did anybody refer you? And if Mm. they did, then they'll tell you their name, obviously. And you just click, put a little check mark in your your box and they referred me a person. And you can always have tiers in your referral program too. Uh, One thing that I found was really good is after someone sent me 10 new clients, I would give them maintenance on their website for life. Oh, wow. And that's literally something that would take me 10, 15 minutes a month to do. Mm. Nice. That's cool. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm totally down with the spreadsheet because a lot of times I just try to keep things simple. You know, I'm about to create a mini personal CRM, like just making sure I keep in touch with the right people at the right time. And I've been doing this with a Google spreadsheet for years, but I'm sort of re breathing some life back into this system. And I plan on doing it on Airtable, which I don't know. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with Airtable? Yeah. Yeah. So like spreadsheets on steroids, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, that they, you could have a really cool setup in there where you could sort of link, you know, when a new client comes in, you could say who referred them and you can actually link it to the person rather than just writing in their name and what you like you would in Google Sheets. You like, could link it to the person and you can run formulas on like, you know, who's referred the most people this year. So that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So that's, um, that's super powerful. I know a lot of people are using Airtable as their CRM. Uh, and because, I mean, it is just so flexible and awesome. So that potentially something to to think about. And the other thing you mentioned is um, making it part of your process during the discovery call. Like if you've got a list of questions, list of things you want to run over, um, you know, you can also also do this in the initial contact form. You know, like who referred yeah, you? Absolutely. Like, that's a question I've put in our web uh, our web design brief form back in the day uh, when we when we still did websites. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was one of the main questions: is like anyone referred you? So that way, you've definitely got a record of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, your tracking can be as simple as or as complex as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. I guess the key is to make sure that you're consistently on top of it and consistently tracking it because you don't want to accidentally forget to reward a client who's referring people to you. Yeah. So there's another part of the system, like every, you know, X months having a recurring task that says go in and check 
any who you need to reward. I feel like like this is everything. This is just how my brain operates now because otherwise I would 100% forget <laughs> to do that. So everything that I need to remember to do on a schedule is a recurring task in, in my project management mm-hmm. system. So if, uh, if you have trouble remembering to do things, there you go. You could even say, you could even set up like an automation that says like, when a person hits their 10th referral, send me an email or a notification, right? Like that's the kind mm-hmm. of cool automation stuff you could set up. Um, if, you, if you've Absolutely. got all- The more you get it out of your brain and into something else, the more chance you are of having uh, to follow up on it and taking yeah. action on it. Yeah, 100%. And, and it's like one of my favorite automation categories. Like people always ask me like, what do I automate? And one of them is like stuff you forget to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if you can put systems in place to do to, like systems in place to force you to remember stuff, then yeah, like you'll be so much better off in business. Like, that's why I've got this little CRM thing. Um, like because otherwise I'll go months without contacting like a friend, even sometimes. You're like, mm. oh, I just I forget. Like I'm like, wow, I haven't talked spoke to that person in like months, you know. So I need my little thing. I go in there on Wednesdays and I go, holy crap, like I haven't contacted these people in months. It's got like little colors and stuff in there, so I can, you know, conditional formatting in the spreadsheet so I can see who I need to reach out to. Just a little system for remembering stuff. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's something worth talking about, I guess, is referrals, like, you know, referrals, sorry, networking and like staying on top of mind with people can be a massive thing for referrals. So do you encourage your like students to do any kind of networking? Like it's obviously pretty hard on what advice have you got? Well, I mean, networking has two major benefits. I mean, one, it brings you uh, new clients and new sources of referrals and stuff like that. But it also broadens your network in terms of people who do similar but not the same stuff as you do. So one of the things that I like to network is finding people who complement my own skills. So whether that's um, a video editor or an audio editor or something like that, someone that we could probably serve the same clients in different capacities. Mm-hmm. And when you have networks like that, that is also a great source of referrals because if you're sending them clients who, you know, you don't do their audio editing, you're sending them that way. If they have someone who has, you know, a website problem, they'll send them your way, right? So you can get this uh, referrals amongst your peer network and your industry networks Mm. as well. Yeah, totally. And that's like, that's actually one of the categories in my little personal CRM thingy is to a category is like referral partners or something like that. So, you know, and I might want to stay in touch with those guys more often than someone else. Cause I have like little brackets of like how often I want to be in contact with a certain kind of person just to make sure I'm top of mind. So yeah, totally down with that. Uh, I know I've said it on this podcast a million times before, but um, IT companies were a really big one for us for web development because mm-hmm. a lot of people just assume IT websites, software, everything is like the same thing Some for some reason. I'm not sure why, but a lot of IT companies get people approaching them for web dev stuff. So definitely mm-hmm. worth talking to. Absolutely. And for me, one of my biggest source of referrals back in the day was the arts community and marketing agencies. Nice. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So actually, just a question. The, the client you have that refers you tons of work each year, would you are you able to share what kind of business they are? Yeah, so she random business. She ran uh, mom and baby classes for, and she it was like a franchise. Mm-hmm. So she had locations all around Canada, and but the woman herself was just incredibly connected. So she mm-hmm. was really active in like the junior league and all of these different parent societies and business societies and stuff. And she was just basically. Um, 
she laughed that she was a, a lifelong sorority girl. Mm-hmm. So she just knew everybody. Mm-hmm. And so all of these people would inevitably have businesses or know people who know have businesses. And if they needed any sort of web design or graphic design or any sort of marketing help, she would send them my way. There you go. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I think everyone knows a super networker. You know, I can think of several mm-hmm. just off the top of my head that I know. And so, so being in with those kind of people would be amazing. Mm-hmm. Cool. So before we wrap this up, Gabrielle, is there anything you think we haven't covered that you need to get off your chest that uh, freelancers need to know to, to be more well-paid? <laughs> um, well, one of the things that I find a lot of freelancers tend to equate with being paid more money is the acquisition of new skills. And more often than not, I find that it's not so much the skills you have, but it's your ability to provide a specific end result to your clients. So what skills you need to provide that end result are way less important than the end result itself. So I find a lot of freelancers are constantly learning the newest language or learning a different piece of software or something else that they feel like they need in order to charge more. But I find it's actually not the case. And when you get way better at providing results or honing in on more specific results and being able to deliver those much better, um, that's when you can really start to raise your rates and earn more profit from your wages. That's uh, this is I like oh, we could unpack this a little bit more. I think because. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, because there could be a little bit of element of procrastination in that, I feel. Like, it, yeah, you know, a lot right. of people are probably just learning stuff well, because they're avoiding something, doing something else, like going and, yeah. you know, I can charge car. more when mm. I know how to do this or when I can add this to my service roster. I and- read, yeah, I read an amazing analogy the other day. I can't remember what it's called. It's like the clay pot or the pottery theory or something where it's like, you know, a guy had two classes of um, people learning how to make pots on a pottery wheel and group A, he said, you know, you're mm. going to make a new pot every day for 30 days. <clears throat> and the other group, he said, you're just going to make the spend the whole month making one Perfecting amazing one pot. pot. Yeah. And every time without fail, the top 10 pots all came from group A where they did something every day so it's more the point there is like actually using your skills and you know putting things into place is going to make you much better at doing that thing so if it's copywriting you know actually writing lots of copy versus trying to you know perfect one landing page because you don't know unless you actually try something and you go oh actually mm-hmm. that's a bit rubbish like you know next time i'll do xyz so cool analogy mm-hmm. I thought. or you know taking courses about how to craft the perfect headline constantly before yeah. you actually start writing the headlines exactly right yeah because you work out what works and what doesn't pretty quick mm-hmm. all right that was awesome gabrielle where can people go to find out more about you Absolutely. So you can go to wellpaidcreative.com and it's also wellpaidcreative on Instagram and Facebook and Boom. hang out on Instagram more. <laughs> nice. Not doing the Twitter thing? Um, I have never <laughs> really gotten along with Twitter. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Maybe fair it's enough. my visual nice nature, but yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I'm like, I can't decide. I was like hot, uh, all in on Instagram and now I'm like all in on Twitter. <laughs> Mostly because I put too much personal stuff on Instagram and I'm just telling everyone where I am and when I'm not home. <laughs> <laughs> 
well, and I find you got to find one that you like and you're actually going to use and be consistent with. hundred percent. Yeah. Just have fun with it. Awesome. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this has been a pleasure and I think there's been a lot of helpful stuff for creatives listening to this. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight. Awesome, guys. Yeah, please head over to uh, wellpaidcreative.com. Check out what Gabrielle's doing, see if she can help you. Uh, and as always, if you got something out of this episode, I'd appreciate if you short- shared it with someone or uh, leave us a review. That's it. Uh, if you want the show notes from this episode, it'll be at agencyhighway.com slash 145. That's it. And I'll see you in the next episode. Discover how to grow your agency, earn more, and work less at agencyhighway.com. Head over there to get resources from this episode and full transcripts. See you next time. This episode was brought to you by Content Snare. If you're a digital agency or just need to get content or info from your clients, Content Snare can help you collect it on time and without enormous email trails. Give it a try at contentsnare.com.